Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry of Lake Mount Worship Center, and we are on a mission to connect young adults to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can find more information on our socials, but in the meantime, we hope you enjoy the message for this week. everybody hello good to see you guys how many enjoyed uh, last Monday night when we got into the pods it was so good some of you guys were loving it so much you're here till like quarter to 11 we're flicking lights locking doors and uh, yeah we're gonna keep doing that that was awesome uh, and AJ just brought such a great word last week as well and so just so thankful for him he actually just became a deacon again yesterday at the annual meeting so yeah AJ, killing it. Okay, grab your Bibles. Go with me to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to just take a look at God's Word for a few moments together. Then we're going to just uh, seek Him in prayer, and I believe God wants to speak to us tonight. Uh, you know, I, I think in life what we need to recognize is that uh, freedoms require boundaries. Freedoms require, you know, when you walk through a mall, like you go to Maple View Mall or something in Burlington or Lime Ridge and Hamilton, and it's like, it's like there's... There's railings all the way around the second floor, all those stores. It's like there's railings all around the top. Most of you never notice them, but they're there. Why? Because if they weren't there, some dummy would walk out of a store and just like die on the main floor, right? They'd just like walk out and be like, hey, there's my mom, right? So it's, it's like the people who walk around, you know, just with their face buried in their phone. Do you ever get tempted when someone's just like buried in their phone just to keep walking right where you are and just... Knock, knock, hit, hit them with, I don't either. I just, it's a dumb thing to think. But the reality is, is like with freedoms, we need boundaries. With freedoms, we need to have some uh, protections around it uh, because without those protections, uh, what happens is, you know, nine times out of 10, you, you would stay away from the edge, uh, you know, of that uh, ledge in the mall. But it's that, that off moment that you're just laughing, talking, backing up, talking to somebody and, and off the edge you go. Those boundaries are there to actually keep and protect us. And, and we've been digging into uh, di- different people who are called throughout Scripture. And in Matthew chapter 9, we're going to take a look at the call of one of Jesus' disciples, one of his apostles named Matthew. Great name. And um, uh, he actually, he had, he had two names. He was also known as Levi, but he went by uh, Matthew because you know, it's, it's a better name. Wouldn't you agree, <laughs> Levi? Um, you know, it's not the gospel of Levi, is it? (laughs) So, um, okay, but, uh, he, he was called by Jesus and I want us to take a look at his calling and, and in it, I believe that God has some guardrails and some, some safety that will be useful for us as we pursue the call of Jesus that's on every person who loves him. If you are here and you love Jesus, you're, you're in a devoted relationship. He, you're following him. You're a disciple of Christ. You have a calling on your life. It might not be vocational. It might not be that you're called to full-time pastoral local church ministry or some kind of parachurch ministry, but you have a calling from Jesus. If you don't understand that, you understand little. You have a calling. You're not here just to live the American dream and put a little Jesus on the side. You're here to live 
for Jesus, and you're here to win others into the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen to that? That's what you're here for. Uh, you, you know, you can make money, you can have a family, you can, ha- you know, two and a half kids and, uh, you know, a car. And uh, that's the stats, guys. I don't know how you have half a kid, but it's possible, apparently. Okay. And you can, you know, have, a, you know, have your vacations, have a sea do, whatever. You can, you can have your stuff, but understand all of that is secondary to the call of God on your life. And the call of God on your life, no matter what you're doing, if you're an accountant, if you're a fireman, if you're a pastor, if you're a, doesn't matter what your vocation in life is, you have a call to reach your world, the immediate circle that you're in, to let people know about the love and goodness of Jesus. That's not meant to be some heavy burden that is like, oh, how do I do that? It's meant to be the overflow of your love for him. And so when we look at Jesus, obviously, he is our absolute supreme example. Jesus is the supreme example of how to uh, live and walk with God. Jesus didn't come to earth to show us how God looks as a human or how, how God walks as a human. He showed us how humans can walk with God. He wanted us to, to, to demonstrate what it is to walk with him. And so Jesus said this, he said, as the father sent me, so I'm sending you. So when we look at the things that Jesus did, it's a bit of a template. It's a bit of a blueprint for us to go, okay, so I need to aim to do things like that. And if it feels like a tall order, it is, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Okay. He wants to help you to live beyond just two and a half kids in a sea He wants you to live a life where there's something of eternal significance that requires something of eternal power and significance, the power of God resting on your life. And so we're going to look at the call of Matthew and, uh, and then just kind of dig into that uh, because I believe that the Lord, again, wants to put some guardrails around the call that each one in this room has. Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 9. If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, if you're not there, just say, hold on a sec. Okay, so what are you waiting for? I said this like four minutes ago. All right, Matthew chapter nine. Okay, so get there. And uh, let's, just, let's just dig in. Matthew nine, verse nine says this. As Jesus went on from there, where? Where he just was. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Okay, now just pause for a second. That's, when I read the Bible, sometimes, you know, you, you get this idea like it's this other land, this other world. But this is a dude who's got a job, and Jesus just comes up and says, follow me. And the guy drops everything and does it. That has to hit you the same as if it happened right here today. While you're doing your job, Jesus just says, quit, follow me, and you did it. This is, this is hardcore followership, and it's a hardcore call. Okay, verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house... Many tax collectors and sinners, everybody say sinners, okay? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we have to dig into some of what is happening here in this story because it doesn't necessarily hit us right between the eyes in 2023. Okay, so a tax collector, what you got to understand is that a tax collector in this Jewish culture, a tax collector was a trader. 
Okay, they were traitors to their people. The Roman Empire was taking over the known world, and they had come and they had conquered uh, the Jewish people. And now Romans and their soldiers were, you know, kind of the local police force, and they were attempting to convert every culture that they went into and turn it into an extension of Rome. And so the way that they were doing that was also via taxation. They were oppressors. They were colonizers. And so they, they came and took over territories, and then they wanted to start taxing the people and building a loyalty out of the people back to Rome. It was hard to do in a lot of places, probably the toughest being in Israel, because the people had a sense of calling an identity that was actually given to them by, by God, whether they knew it or not. And so tax collectors were traitors because they were Jewish people who who sided with the Romans. The Romans needed someone who could speak language and who was good at math. Someone who could speak the language and was good at math. Who here is pretty good at language and math? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, nobody here. So is there... Okay, so these, these are the guys that would, would, would trade their loyalty to their people. It's like, it's like if you're in the middle of a hockey game and one of your teammates turns and shoots at your goalie in the middle of the game. These guys just like swapped jerseys in the middle of the game. Everybody hated tax collectors. They're jerks, okay? They're, they're turning on their own people. And also what these tax collectors would do is they would use their Roman military escorts. They'd show up at your house and they'd say, you, you owe so much amount in tax. And they would use their Roman military escorts as muscle to get more money out of you than you owed. And so they would actually skim off the top and they lived a really rich, luxurious lifestyle, but they did it by squeezing more out of you than you had to pay, but they had the Romans on their side. So everybody hated these guys. Understandably so. They were jerks. And the better their life was, you know, when they pull into the driveway with a brand new Mercedes Benz, you just want to slash the tires because these guys are living the life of Riley off of your back and by, by tr being a traitor. So they're not popular. They're sellouts, they're cowards, and they're users. And Jesus approaches a guy like that. Jesus approaches someone that nobody else likes. I mean, Jesus approaches a tax collector, and this is someone that most people wouldn't even make eye contact with because they're just hoping that he doesn't look at them and go, hey, wait a second, you owe me taxes. Like everyone avoided these guys. And Jesus walks up to the tax collector booth, and he walks up to a guy that nobody likes, and he says, follow me. And Matthew actually quits a lucrative job where he's absolutely unpopular and walking away from that lucrative job without the popularity and without the Roman muscle behind him, he's exposing himself to a lot of retribution. It's a pretty expensive obedience to follow Jesus. He's leaving behind his lush lifestyle, but he's also leaving behind the whole you know, thing that he's betrayed, the people that he's betrayed. Now he's just kind of like, yeah, just let's put that behind us and I just want to be a Christian now. It's a pretty expensive obedience. This guy had a high-paying job, but he had low standards, like a lot of people, just do whatever it takes to make a lot of money. But when Jesus called him, Matthew not only said yes, he put his yes in action. It, it, it seems like a fluid conversation. Follow me. Okay. Just puts, you know, closed and walks away. Leaves business behind and follows after Jesus. 
that tells me something. Jesus sees something that others don't. Jesus sees something in you that others don't. He sees something in people that maybe you could never imagine that they might follow Jesus, but he sees something in them that you don't. There are people that you're writing off right now that Jesus has not written off. There are people that you think are too far gone that Jesus does not feel the same way you do. It could be offensive to you who Jesus wants on his team. There are people that Jesus will call and yet you're thinking, well, I don't, does that, does that mean I have to like share heaven with this person? Is there, is purgatory still an option? Jesus sees something that others don't. That means that there were other people. Get this. Jesus had multitudes of people following him, okay? So that means there are other people sitting in the front row when Jesus is teaching, and they're like, yes, amen, wow. That's good. When the music is on, they're like, mm-hmm, wow, who? They're like feeling it. First ones at the altar calls, they're, they're, they're taking sermon notes and they're just like, yeah, have you been to the Jesus service? You totally need to come check it out. He's such a good preacher. You're going to love it. They've, they're doing all of the things that look like these should be the guys that Jesus goes, hey, follow me. Be my disciple. Because you're kind of like 90% there. Uh-uh. See, we learned from David's call, when we looked at that a few weeks back, that actually we, human beings, we look on the surface. We look on the outside. God looks on the heart. And, and, and sometimes it's not the person, you know, saying, wow, taking notes, that is actually hardcore. There's something that was brewing in Matthew's heart. God looks at the heart. There was something happening in his heart about being willing, if he could be seen, if, if, if Jesus would see me, and if he would see value in me, I've been listening while I'm acting like I'm counting, you know, denarii. I, I, while I'm sitting here just counting Jewish money, I'm actually listening to the messages. And I've been hearing the testimonies. And while people are coming in, I'm listening. And if he would see me, I would give all this back. I've sold my soul to the devil. I have given the best years of my life so far to being an absolute jerk and nobody has any space for me. But there's something about that guy. If he saw me and he called me, I'd cash this in and I'd go after him. Jesus saw that. Never at a service. Never at the meeting. There was something at work in his heart. He was messed up, but he was searching. There are some people in your life who are messed up, but they're searching. And you know what Jesus sees when he sees that? In all capital letters, he sees perfect candidate. He sees what we don't see. He sees at the heart level. He's looking into the heart and he sees that person is actually all of the crap that they're doing is a disguise for a search. What is he trying to find in power with Roman alliance? What is he trying to find in money with stuff? Does that sound familiar? There are people looking to be powerful, looking to be influential, looking to have lots of money, looking to have lots of experience, looking to have all the things that seem to be the pinnacle of human experience. And sometimes the people who are looking like they're living the worst life are actually living the worst life going, this is the worst life. 
you don't need to tell them it sucks. They're in it. They're like, yeah, I bragged all my friends about all the girls I've had, but I feel like a piece of crap. Yeah, I brag about all the stuff, but I mean, there's only so many cool vacations you can have before it's just me, no matter where I go. A new car is a new car, and pretty soon it's not new, and then I need another new one, and it's kind of wearing off. Some people live in the worst life, actually know by experience, it's the worst life. And they've been searching for meaning in some places that they can't find it. Jesus sees the heart. Jesus sees beneath the surface. And so Jesus just shows up and says, Matthew, come follow me. And he's like, all right, that's it. Like, that's it. Matthew's entrance into following Jesus, we just read it and it, it gets right past you. His, his baptism into the kingdom is right there. And we just read it and it's like, that was it? Follow me. Okay, that's it. That's the end of the conversion experience. Matthew, come follow me. Okay. What about your job? Yeah, that was my job. So what happens next? We just read it. Matthew throws himself a farewell party. Who wouldn't? You got all the money? Why not? Right? Spend, spend the boss's money. We're going to just have a little party. See you later, guys. I quit today. Yeah, what are you doing now? I'm a disciple of this guy. Okay, how's that pay? Uh, doesn't. You got Roman muscle? Um, no. Everybody on that team think like you? No. You know, Jesus calls Matthew one day and he calls Simon the Zealot the other day. Simon the Zealot actually would like be a part of like conspiracies to kill people like Matthew. And Jesus is like, let's put these guys on the same team and see what happens. He just shakes up the bottle of pop and like, all right, who's thirsty? So Levi throws himself, Matthew, really, the, the name that we really got to stick with here, Matthew, throws himself a farewell party, and a bunch of his tax collector, a bunch of his co-workers show up, probably a really fun bunch of guys, right? A bunch of bean counters, right? They show up to Matthew's party, and sinners, I had you repeat the word because if you're reading in your Bible, you actually see sinners is in quotation marks. Because in first century uh, Israel, sinners were actually a social class, a, a group of people that like an identifiable class of people. Like on your tax form, what are you? Christian, Muslim, sinner? Yeah, just sinner. That's me. I'm a sinner. What's a, what's a sinner? Like a class of people known as sinners. These were tax collectors prostitutes, these were people that were like uh, up to no good, starting making trouble in your neighborhood. These, <laughs> these kinds of people, okay? <clears throat> and the reason this group of people exists is because the Pharisees, this religious group of people, had worn everybody out. They just worn a lot of people out. There's a lot of people that are like, you know, the Pharisees are like, yes, please come to synagogue, but not if you live 16 blocks away because you would have to walk too far to come to our synagogue. You sinner! You can't walk that much on a Sabbath. What? Yeah, and you better wash your hands 47 times before you even think of having toast. What? Then just start making up rules and making life suck. And there was a bunch of people who were like, Oh, is that what it is to know God? I'm out. Just call me a sinner. I give up. 
You want to be, be a disciple of anybody? No. You want to go to synagogue? No. You want to be a, a, you know, a religious practicing Jew? No, thanks. What are you going to do? Um, eat, drink, and be merry, and die. I'm, I'm done. If that's what it means to follow God, screw it. Those were sinners. There's a lot of people in that camp in our culture. I give up. I don't, I don't want the standards of holiness the standards of righteousness. But here's Matthew in this group, thrown away all standards, involved with a crowd that will do anything, try anything, go anywhere, party in any type of style. And it's like, okay, been there, done that. This is the worst life. I'm slowly killing myself. I actually hate myself. I hate this life. And there are people who might be Instagramming looking like, yeah, yeah. You remember that opening scene, Anchorman? We're like, man, we've been coming to the same party for 12 years and in no way is that depressing. It is depressing. You're living the same lame party over and over and over again. Some people are all in and they, they, they don't look back. But then there's others like Matthew who've gone all in and they're still looking. This is hollow. This is empty. I'm not feeling it. And so here he is, has a party with a bunch of sinners. And believe it or not, we just read it, believe it or not, Jesus goes to that party. He goes to that house. He goes to where Matthew's friends, who kind of just have given up on any kind of pursuit of God, Matthew invites God in the flesh to come to his party. And he shows. He comes. He shows up at the party. And there's Pharisees. The, the real, you know, the real fun-loving Pharisees see Jesus at a party and they're like, what's this guy doing? Hanging out with the sinners. Why is he eating with them and going to a tax collector's house? And so they call him a friend of sinners. We just read it. They call him a friend of sinners. Now, I want you to observe something. You just read it. I'm re-quoting it to you again. Go back to your text if you're questioning me. Friend of sinners is an accusation of Jesus by the Pharisees. It's not a messianic title. What do I mean? I mean like, one of the messianic, the messianic titles of Jesus, that he would be the everlasting father, the prince of peace, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting God, you know, that he'd be the shepherd, that he would be the Messiah. These messianic titles, that he's come to be the savior of God's people, the son of David. Friend of sinners is not one of those descriptions. It's an accusation from the Pharisees. Jesus ate at Matthew's house and he spent time with those sinners. Now just, here's the guardrail. Some people have taken the liberty with this to make it seem as though Jesus was on a bender with all his loose pals. That Jesus is like, I'm going to ask Matthew to be my disciple so that the parties get better. And I know that might sound ridiculous, or maybe you think that way. I just want to bring a little correction from God's word. Jesus wasn't at the party partying like the way those parties always went. And if you think that, you haven't actually gone much beneath the the surface in the text. 
Some have taken the liberty to go, Jesus was a friend of sinners. So that just means that I just need to have absolutely no boundaries when it comes to where I go, what I do, the friends that I have. That, that's, that's, you know, I'm, Jesus is just, he knew how to party, man. He had all the sinners over there that made the Pharisees upset. And Jesus was like, yeah, eat your heart out. We're having a great time. Because that's how everyone celebrates that part. Okay. You ever go to a hockey game and someone's like, like nine beers in front of you and they're like, can you even see the game anymore? And they're like, the game's over and they barf and they're laying on the floor and say, hey, nice to see you. Anyways, I just want to say, it's an unbiblical view. It's an unbiblical view to think that what this text is trying to convey to you and to me is we need to go party with our friends as a witness. And I, I, just stay with me as I work through Scripture, okay? A couple of chapters later, Matthew chapter 11. If you want to, you can flip there with me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16 and 19. Listen to what Jesus says about this accusation of him being a friend of sinners. Now, this is just a couple chapters later. This is where they first say it in Matthew 9, when he goes to Matthew's house. And now, two chapters later, it comes up again. Matthew 11, verse 16. Jesus says, to what can I compare... This generation. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge or a funeral song and you didn't mourn. In other words, you guys don't know what you want to be happy. Verse 18. For John, that's John the Baptist. John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man, speaking of himself, came eating and drinking. And they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that the Pharisees, by their observation, the Pharisees are saying that John the Baptist was demon-possessed. Okay? And they're based on their same observation, they're saying that Jesus is a glutton and a drinker and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So here's the question. Were the Pharisees right about John the Baptist? Who thinks the Pharisees right about John the Baptist? He was demon-possessed. Anybody? No, that's an easy one. John the Baptist was not demon-possessed. That's good theology, okay? He was not demon-possessed. He was the forerunner to prepare the way for Jesus, okay? So to say that he's demon-possessed, if you had to choose between right and wrong, they would be wrong. Okay. So Jesus is building an argument. So let me ask this question. Were they right about Jesus? Was he a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners? No. No. So what is being demonstrated to us? What are we learning about having a heart after God and a heart for people from Jesus' ministry. This is really important. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Jesus had an intentional mindset and approach to environments of sin. He had an intentional mindset and approach to environments of sin. What do I mean by an environment of sin? I mean, they're, they're you know, like, like the party scene. Okay, 
Everyone preloads, comes to the party. They're already half in the bag, and then they keep drinking and dancing, and everyone's just seeing where, what's going to happen next. And the hope is by the end of the night, I'll be drunk, I'll be in bed with somebody, maybe I'll get stoned, and then I'll do it all again the next night, and then I'll do it all again the next night, and then I'll just you know try to get through class on Monday and then do it all again the next Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and off I go. Okay? Those environments require an intentional mindset and approach. And Jesus had one. So let's go back to our text in Matthew chapter 9. Okay? I'm going to read this again. When the Pharisees saw this, saw what? Jesus eating with tax collectors at Matthew's house. He's at a party with Matthew and his sinner friends. The Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answers the question. And seeing as Jesus is our supreme example, maybe we should listen to his answer. This is what he says. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, if you're at the party, okay, if you're at the party, what's Jesus saying about you? It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. Everyone's sitting there going, what? What'd you say about me? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. What would you call me? Are you saying I'm a sick sinner? Yeah. That's, that just happened. So what does that mean? That means that compassion, a burden for people to come to know Jesus, compassion, an evangelistic gift, it needs a protective case. Has anybody here ever sent a letter written by hand in the mail, just, just by show of hands. Anyone ever done that? Like, okay, so, so when you send a letter, okay, you write a letter, and then what do you do? You just stick a stamp to it and throw it in the mailbox? No, you fold it up, and you put it in an envelope, and you seal it, put a stamp on that, and put it in the mailbox. Why? Because it would be foolish to take your private thoughts and feelings, stick a stamp on it, and just trust no one's going to read it except for the recipient. That's foolish. And you say, well, what difference does it make? It will only mean something to the person that I'm sending it to. Yeah, but there's private information you don't want out there. That's why you have a VPN on your phone. That's why, that's why you try to have some safety and security on things. Why? Because not everything's meant to just be out there. Your compassion needs an envelope. It needs a protective case so that it can be delivered without contamination. Jesus approached sinful people. If you're taking notes, this I'm just quoting Jesus back to you. This is just important. Jesus approached sinful people and sinful environments the way a doctor approaches sick people. He said that. I'm just repeating it. So Jesus is at the party and you've got people building a theology going, Jesus is just at the party going, Yeah, man, you're welcome to the team. He's got like a, oh, a beer helmet on. A garden hose. There's a bong in the middle of the room. Yeah, all right, Matthew, what a party. Woo. And you think I'm exaggerating. There's people building theologies around this stuff. And it is a mockery to the spirit of holiness that was in Jesus. How did Jesus go to Matthew's house? He said it. Why does your teacher go to tax collectors and sinners' houses? And Jesus is like, 
Sick people need a doctor. How did Jesus approach going to a sinful environment? The same way a doctor approaches a sick patient. The same way a doctor approaches a surgery. You don't just walk in there. You know, you got a bottle of pop and a bag of chips. All right, we ready for surgery? You got gloves. And you got your, you know, the mask and you got all the stuff. You got the dumb hat to keep your hair from falling in somebody's heart. Thanks. Can you imagine how he die? Oh, uh, the surgeon had long hair. Got pumped into his right aorta. <laughs> Great. Okay. Jesus is like, I approach sinful environments with a medical level of preparation. Why? <clears throat> because I'm here to deliver healing, not to be made sick myself. Now, of course, Jesus himself could not be made sick because he's a perfect son of God. But he's setting an example for us in his humanity that there's wisdom in approaching those environments, not as someone who thinks my witness is to just do what everyone else is doing and people can just be like, wow, Christians aren't as uptight as I thought. Which really means, wow, there's no difference between you and me. That's not evangelism. That's, that's growing lukewarm in your faith. And I've been in this long enough to know that right now, at your stage of life, right now as young adults, this is the time that you need to hear Okay, that you need to hear that God has called you to be holy. Holy means you're set apart. And so your evangelistic passion and your compassion for lost people needs a protective case. Needs an envelope with a stamp on it. Not everybody can receive what you have to deliver. So guard it. Protect it. Because there's some environments that are actually working to contaminate you. And you're like, uh, not me. I am such a prayer warrior. I read my Bible for like 20 minutes straight this morning. And I listened to Maverick City the whole way to work. I'm so freaking anointed right now. I can hardly stand it. When I open the door, it's like, I'm just expecting people to get slain in the spirit. That's, that's a great thought. Not happening. Okay? So Jesus said, I approach, I approach sinful environments the way a doctor approaches sick people. Have you ever seen someone who is like violently ill, horribly sick, got a horrible diagnosis and thought to yourself, lucky. Like I wish I had that. Of course not, because you're sane. You don't try to get sick. You actually come into those environments, you know, when someone's, you know, when you ever have that friend who just doesn't have the common sense to like say no to going out and they're like totally sick and it's like they show up anyways and you're like driving to Toronto and they get in the car like, oh man, I've been so sick. I was vomiting all day. But I just didn't want to miss the concert. <coughs> and you're just sitting in the back seat like, can you sit on the roof? Why? Because I don't want to get what you got. How could I get it? Just by being in your proximity. Jesus, are you saying that sin is like that? Yes. That's what he's saying. 
there's some environments that start to infect. And so there has to be a surgical approach to how I'm going to step into that environment. So Jesus saw the potential in Matthew, but hear me, seeing potential without seeing sickness is dangerous. And like I said, I've been in this too long to just pretend that that doesn't happen still. There are people who just see the potential like, my, my buddy is just, he's so close, you know, and he's just, you know, he doesn't want to come to church and he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't want me to read the Bible to him, but he's like so close, you know, he doesn't want me to pray with him. He doesn't like, but I can just feel like he's so close. And so like, I'm just going to kind of, you know, go and, and like be with him. I'm going to, I want to show him, maybe if I go to some of his parties, maybe he'll come to church with me. It sounds kind of evangelistic, but you see the potential without seeing the sickness. And like, I've got news for you. If someone is drowning, okay? If someone fell off of a boat and they don't know how to swim, they're on a cruise ship and somehow they fall off into the ocean. They don't need someone else to jump off of the boat and drown with them for moral support. Hey, I'm here too. I know what it's like, man. This sucks, eh? We're probably gonna die. (laughs) I'm here. That's not a witness. That's dumb. Someone who's drowning needs someone who knows how to swim. Someone who's drowning needs someone who's got a life preserver and it's connected to the boat. You don't need my moral support in what you're floundering in. So Jesus entered those environments like a doctor enters a, a surgery room covered and masked and with an eye to heal, not to validate sickness. Elsewhere, I'm just going to read this to you. Luke chapter 19, another time Jesus shows up at a sinner's house. A little guy named Zacchaeus, right? He's a, I don't know what we call, I don't know what the politically correct term is, but he was smaller than everyone else. I don't know what the term is. I'm not going to try. There was a song that talked about him as a wee little man. Maybe that's what we call, I don't know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he wanted to hang out with Jesus. He also was a tax collector. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus. He climbed a tree. That's how small he was. He had to climb a tree so he could see Jesus. That's how small he was. It was like climbing a tree like, hi, Jesus. And then Jesus is like, hey, get out of your tree fort. Let's go for lunch. And so Zacchaeus goes, or Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. Again, tax collector, sinful environment, all kinds of, you know, previous things that would have happened there. And Jesus is having a meal. And again, Luke 19, I'll just read this to you. Luke 19, verse 7. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I can't believe that Jesus would go to a sinner's house. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. In other words, that's how much I was screwing people over for their taxes. I was timesing it by four. And so he stands up and he goes, I'm going to give half my money to the poor and I'll pay back anybody who can come in here and show me I cheated them. I will pay them back four times what I cheated them. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house because this guy is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, speaking of himself, has come to seek and save the lost. Picture what's happening. 
Jesus invites himself over to a tax collector's house. There's a bunch of sinners there. And while he's eating, Zacchaeus is overcome by conviction. And all Jesus is doing is eating. So if you think it's just, you know, everyone's getting smashed, like, yeah, Jesus is at our party. That's not what's happening. Jesus is just having lunch. And Zacchaeus can't stand it. The conviction's coming over him. And he stands up and nobody sees him. So he climbs on his chair and they just see his nose. So he climbs up on the table. And he says, here now, I give all my... That's not nice. He says, he says, I'm paying back. I'm giving half my money to the poor and I'm paying back. Anybody that I ripped off, I'll pay him back four times. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? It means Jesus shifted the atmosphere when he walked into places. That what was a party frat house becomes a place of repentance. It becomes an altar. It becomes a place where someone gets right with God. So a few things. I'm going to call the the worship team to come. We're going to just respond in prayer in just a few moments. But I want to give you just a couple of take-homes out of it. Jesus calls imperfect people to follow him. You've heard me say this before. The reason he does is because it's all he has to choose from. Nobody in this room is perfect. So if Jesus is going to call you, and he has, you're imperfect. He calls imperfect people. Following Jesus. When Jesus calls Matthew to follow him, listen, following Jesus means quitting some old habits and some old ways. How do I know that? Again, if you just blitz past it, you're not taking time to read this story. The conversion experience is a nanosecond. Jesus says, follow me. And Matthew goes, okay. And he gets up and he follows. Meaning what? All this stuff that was my identity, my job, my title, my role, my money, the muscle I had around me, my identity as a trader, my identity as a, as a Roman suck-up, all of that stuff. All of it is done. I'm not living how I used to. Conversion of the heart. Not just a mental, I pray to prayer, but I still want to live the way that I was living before. A dramatic change. Following Jesus, this, you know, it's just the English language. Following Jesus actually means following Jesus. Like looking at him and going, I'm doing that now. Was Jesus a tax collector? No. Well, I guess neither am I. Was he ripping people off? No. Well, I guess I don't do that anymore. Is he sucking up to the Romans for muscle? No, I guess I'm not doing that anymore. I've changed how I get influence. I've changed how I get money. I've changed my whole life. Why? Because I'm following Jesus. Following Jesus. I mean, just, just picture it. Like, like, Louis, just come here for a second. Yeah, come on up. Come on up here. Yeah, Luis. Okay, so to follow, if, if Lewis was going to just say, Matt, follow me. If he's going to say, just follow me. So try it. Follow me? Yeah, you, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> okay. It's not a question, Lewis. You have to say it with some oomph. You're trying to get me to follow you. Follow me. Okay. 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 Sorry. Lame example, but you're doing a great job. Thank you, Lewis. You can take your seat again. Okay. I'm just trying to lock it in your mind. To follow somebody, I have to see him. And I have to be looking at where he's going. And then I have to do what he's doing. That's following. 
I know it sounds really obvious, but it is. The kingdom doesn't belong to rocket science. It belongs to kids. This isn't hard. Following Jesus means get a good look at him, do what he's doing. So this was easy. Lewis says, follow me. It's like, okay. But if he just, if, if Lewis just went like overtime on the illustration, it's like, okay. And he just starts sprinting through the green room or whatever. It's like, okay, I hope you guys can still hear me. Lewis is now standing on the piano, you know. Okay. Here, here, here's, here's the point that I'm saying. Following Jesus literally means looking. You can't follow someone you can't see. You ever been going somewhere and your Google Maps, you know, just craps out and you're following the guy in front of you and he just starts like ripping turn corners and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know where I'm going. You can't follow unless you see the person you're following. So when Jesus said, follow me, he's saying, Matthew, he's saying, Zacchaeus, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, you have to see me and watch what I'm doing and then do that. So follow me is not just a figure of speech. It's a literal change in lifestyle because I'm not just going where I want to go now. If I'm following Lewis, now I'm going where he wants to go. If I'm following Jesus, I'm going where he wants to go. Okay? And again, Jesus approached sinners with caution and compassion. The way a doctor approaches a sick person. Compassion and caution mixed together, blended together. If Jesus did that, how much more so do we need to do that? So what am I saying? Hear me clearly. Having friendship with sinners, having friendship with people who don't know Jesus yet is important. But hear me, your mindset needs to be like Jesus was. That you're on assignment to bring change and to bring a difference, not to blend in in the name of evangelism. Drowning next to a person who's drowning isn't evangelism. It's, it's dumb. Don't apologize that you have the answer. The other thing I would say to you, and this is worth writing down, don't overestimate your strength. Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, the son of God, perfect in nature, flawless, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. How did he send out his disciples? Every single time he sent them out, he sent them by twos. Why? For accountability and for shared purpose. You're like, yeah, I'm just going to go make a difference. I can't, honestly, I can't count how many people I've seen who start out with an evangelistic passion that I actually believe is really from God. Like they just really, I want to see my friends come to know Jesus. And, and I just, I, I, I can't, I can't seem to just do it right. So I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go be where they are. And I'm telling you, it takes almost no time at all before they go and they, they, they step into the bar and they're like, I, I'm going into the bar because I want to witness for Jesus. And pretty soon, they're not just in the bar, the bar's in them and they forgot about why they went in the first place. And they're just blended right into the whole thing. And so if Jesus approached sinful environments the way that a doctor approaches a sick patient, then we need to understand that certain environments are toxic. And we need to exercise caution and prayerful preparation. Jesus seeks and saves lost people. He's calling us to do the same. But hear me. His calling doesn't validate a sinful past. It prophesies a righteous future. God's call doesn't validate a sinful past. 
It prophesies a righteous future. That's what was happening when Jesus stepped into Matthew's life, when he called him. He wasn't saying, keep doing what you're doing and just let me gradually into your life. It was like, all or nothing, follow me. And he went all in. And there was a whole new beginning. Historians tell us that Matthew died in Ethiopia as an apostle to the African continent and in that nation preaching the gospel. He died as a martyr preaching for Jesus years after this humble, simple, basic beginning. Follow me. Okay. And how hardcore did he follow? Literally to the ends of the earth in obedience to Jesus. Jesus was unapologetic on his mission. Value people. Value them when they're lost. Value them when they're found. But hear me, when people are lost, don't act like they're found. Speak the truth. Call them higher. What do I mean? We have to tell the truth to ourselves. That people who don't know Jesus are lost. Jesus said it. I'm repeating it. They're lost. And he's sending us as found ones to call people into a place of being found, not so that we can go and reorient ourselves to what it is to be lost. If you were going to heal sick people, you'd need to go to med school. If you were going to call the unrighteous to salvation, you're going to need to go to the school of prayer, the school of the Spirit. You're going to need to let God do a work in your heart and put his compassion in you. Put the envelope and the protection around that burden for lost people. How many here by show of hands, you know somebody that you love who you know right now, they don't know Jesus, but they need to know Jesus. Just show me your hands, okay? You know that's true. That acknowledgement needs to move from just I know it to I'm burdened by it and not just feeling bad. Like I'm not, there's no guilt to heap out here. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. But we can be, we can be vehicles. We can be conduits, pipelines of God's word and his truth and a lived out example in front of these ones to demonstrate a whole new atmosphere and a whole new way to live. And the power of the Spirit resting on your life, resting on my life, will make us effective in reaching the world for Jesus. So I just want you to stand to your feet. I just want to ask the Holy Spirit for his help. That's all I want to do. Would you close your eyes? Maybe just stretch out your hands. Like I was going to pass you a baby, just... just in a posture of receiving gently from the Lord while I pray. Father, you love the whole world. You love this world so much that you gave your one-of-a-kind son, Jesus, to come and walk where we walk, to live where we live, to be tempted the way we're tempted, to be familiar with the suffering and the pain that we're familiar with, and yet to live perfectly so that he could pay the price as a perfect sacrifice for our sin 
redeem our sorrow and bring us in a right relationship with you. Father, we have freely received your salvation. And you're calling us, Lord, to freely give and to live as witnesses, testimony to your goodness and your kindness. I pray the envelope of grace over these young adults tonight. Lord, the protective case around a burden for their generation. Lord, I pray many of us have been inspired looking at this Jesus Revolution movie and and the, the record of what happened in the 70s of just people at the age of a lot of people in this room coming into a radical encounter with the love of Jesus, going into the world around them and showing and demonstrating that love. Not blending in, but being absolutely countercultural because of the power of God resting on their lives. Father, my prayer is this. I believe it's time for such a move to happen again. I believe it's time that in this generation, Lord, you would baptize us in your love and you would baptize us in your power. You'd baptize us, Lord, in your compassion. You'd baptize us, Lord, in your holiness. And that, Father, you would send us into this world in the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we have friends like Matthew who on the surface of things look like they're absolutely all in on a lifestyle that is completely anti-Christ and completely separate from your ways. But Father, we acknowledge tonight by the power of your word that you look on the heart. And we're praying tonight, Lord, there are people in our lives that we have no idea like Matthew. They're just one question away from walking away from everything. One question away from going all in to follow after Jesus. They're this close to the kingdom of God. And I'm asking that tonight, Lord, you would invite us into the school of the spirit. Invite us into the school of prayer. Lord, make us doctors of salvation. Lord, that you would cause for us, like Jesus, who said that it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. You've come to call the unrighteous. Father, would you send us with that kind of guarded mindset in the power of the Spirit to reach our world for you? Would you now release to us not just the knowledge of friends that need you, but the burden that comes with that? that would move us to be, Lord, a generation, even a movement from this room of young adults that would go after God and reach our world for you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, baptize us fresh. Have your way in the way that we think and the way that we live. Put a grace on us to live separate, to live holy, and to walk in this generation in righteousness. I pray in Jesus' name. Tonight, if you're in this room and you say, I, I really want God to use me. I, I really want God to fill me. I really want God to clothe me with his power and his wisdom. I want my life to make a difference for eternity. I don't just want to chum around and just be a pal. I want to carry the message of the kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit into my world. I want you to step out from where you are. We're going to seek the Lord together tonight. If that's you, and just say, I, I really want God to use my life. 
I want you to, only if you mean it, only if it's, if it's the cry of your heart, I want you to come. And I want us all over this room, just if that's, that's the response of your heart. I believe that God, by his word and by his spirit tonight, even while I'm talking about Matthew at a tax collector booth, he's showing you friends of yours. He's showing you their faces. He's whispering their name. And there's a burden that he's wanting to release to us. We can't conjure it. We can't work it up. We can't just try to feel it or feel bad. There's no guilt, no condemnation in this room whatsoever. There's a burden that comes from the Spirit of God that we need to receive. And so if you're here, I want you to just begin to just call on the Lord. We're going to just gently worship. We're just going to gently pray. Some of you might want to get on your knees. Some of you might want to pray with one another in a few moments. But our prayer tonight, Father, is that you'd baptize us in your Holy Spirit again. That, Father, you'd send us into a world that's sick and dying in the power of your righteousness and the power of your truth. Send us, Holy Spirit, with your burden and release the mantle that we need, the grace that we need to walk in the power of the Spirit in our generation. In Jesus' name, let's seek the Lord tonight. Thanks for listening to the Lake Mount Young Adults Podcast. For more information, please visit us at lakemount.ca or follow us on Instagram at lakemountya. Have an amazing week and we hope to see you soon.